You're listening to The Mumbrella Cast. The Mumbrella Cast. Welcome to The Mumbrella Cast. I'm Damien Francis. Joining me to break down the week in media and marketing is Tim Burrows. Happy demo. Olivia Crimmel. Hello. And Zoe Wilkinson. Hello. Later in the Mumbrella cast, Zoe will be talking to the Monkeys and Accenture Interactive's Mark Green and Scott Knoll. Now well settled in as part of Accenture Interactive, they discuss agencies repositioning themselves to compete with consultancies and the changing landscape of the creative industry. The pair also talk about what the new era of the Monkeys looks like following Justin Drape's departure from the agency earlier this year. But first, the week's topics. World Vision Australia reignites debate around pitches. The Trans-Tasman travel bubble opens, kicking off a tourism marketing frenzy. And automotive marketers under pressure from a rapidly changing industry. This week, Mumbrella revealed that World Vision Australia's media account is out to pitch with a third-party procurement agency charging interested agencies an $80 fee to download the tender documents. The news was triggered industry debate over pitching terms with Initiative's Global Chairman Matt Baxter, labelling it exactly the sort of bad behaviour that needs to disappear from our industry. Liv, is an $80 charge really such a big deal? Well, some would argue no. Uh, However, I think the main concern amongst those in the industry that we spoke to is that it does set a bad precedent. And so it might start with 80, then it goes to 100, then it goes to 200, 300, 1,000. And I think that's the really concern here is that why should agencies have to put up any money just to see the document? Because at the end of the day, they might not be interested once they see what's actually being asked for. They, it might be outside of their scope of capability. There are lots of unknowns. So to not even know what it is that they might be interested in pitching for and having to put money down to see that is, I think, the concern amongst all of the agencies that we spoke to. And also the uh, MFA's uh, head, Sophie Madden, came out and said as well that they've just published these best you know, pitch practice guidelines, and this does not fall within that. There was a fair amount of talk after that uh, news piece went live, but let's just clarify where that $80 goes to first. Is World Vision actually pocketing that? No, not at all. And they were very keen to to make that well known that the $80 goes to Procurement Australia, which is a third-party procurement platform. They do loads of procurement across multiple industries in Australia. Um, If you go onto their website, they've got about 20 or more different categories that they have tenders for. And so World Vision is a not-for-profit. It's a, you know, humanitarian organisation. They've obviously decided that for whatever reason, it is safer and better to go via third-party procurement platform rather than doing it and running it in-house the uh, spokesperson for World Vision was also very keen to say that this, you know, this is sort of standard procedure and that these procurement platforms are, are quite common. And of course, this brought up the whole argument around the validity of pitching again and what's expected within the pitch. Matt Baxter commenting brought up the whole ditch the pitch idea, which of course he floated uh, to Mumbrella 360 uh, back in. Uh, 2019, where he took to the stage and had a, a complete presentation about all of it. And part of his discussion was essentially that it's 
taking on average around a year to recover from a global pitch to recover in terms of the the revenue. Apparently, he was saying there that it costs uh, approximately $300,000 to do an average pitch and they're getting more and more involved. We're still talking about this though, Tim, you've probably been following this for quite some time as well. Are you surprised that we haven't moved further down the path to essentially what Baxter was asking for back in 2019, ditching the pitch? Yeah, so uh, context for those people who didn't know. So Matt, who's now the chairman of Initiative Globally, was the was the CEO at the time. Um, of course, he used to work in the Australian market, which is one of the reasons why his his words had particular resonance. Then came along and gave the keynote at Mumbrella Three Hundred and Sixty, in which yeah, he called his presentation "Ditch the Pitch," and it was, I suppose, what it was pointing to as much as anything was there's. There is a slightly broken part of the industry where when there's a big pitch, everybody throws an enormous amount of resource into winning the account, probably put in some of their existing client work slightly on the back burner at the very least getting a little bit distracted. And certainly, you know, as you say, I think those amounts you're referring to are probably in terms of head hours, uh, puts in an enormous amount of resource into trying to win these accounts, which of course um, they do because, um, you know, the, 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 the prize, if you win the account, it can be worth it. Um, one of the issues though is, is it's an oversupplied industry. There are too many agency brands. Um, so there's always somebody who's willing to um, jump through whatever hoops are asked of them in terms of, of, of doing these pitches. So I, I don't see much having changed and I don't quite see where the change is going to come from anytime soon, except for the gradual market correction we're seeing of, you know, there are, there are fewer fewer brands at a global global level now when it comes to media agencies as mergers happen. We've obviously seen WPP do a little bit of that. So in time that might be, you know, one of the things which which evens out the playing field. But that feels like a sort of correction that will unfold over years, if not a decade. Well, of course, there was the a small attempt at a correction recently, uh, which we covered off on uh- Unfortunately, it was April 1st, which uh, turned out not to be an April Fool's joke, uh, thankfully. But the AANA and the MFA developing guidelines that they were meant to address the flaws identified by advertisers and agencies in the typical tender uh, process. It was uh, quite a long bit of information. But do you expect him that this will actually go anywhere to helping make this? this uh, pitch process any fairer or is this just a bit of window dressing look i suppose you know what, what those sort of best practice guidelines do is well firstly that's exactly what they are they're guidelines but it provides a starting point for conversation you know it it at the very least helps point out to the outliers you know the kind of the the, the brands that are the most demanding or the most unreasonable, what a good process looks like. And that's assuming that the whole, you know, that the whole industry is happy, you know, is happy with that. Um, and of course there are, you know, there, there are different ways of running this, you know, the, uh, the sort of pitch, which is run by a, you know, a pitch consultant, like kind of, you know, 
one of the things that Trinity P3 does, for instance, versus a pitch that's run in house can be very different. And of course, a local pitch versus one that's got some sort of, you know, global nature to it or multi-market nature to it is different again. Um, so, you know, I, uh, hey, look, you know, I, I think having a few kind of guide rails to start off with in helping start the conversation, even if somebody doesn't follow it in its entirety, is no bad thing. But yeah, I've got a feeling we'll still be talking about it uh, for um, not just months, but as I say, years. Absolutely. It's interesting to note as well, during that presentation at Mumbrella 360, Matt did say he had secured the URL for ditchthepitch.com, which I note is not yet in use uh, so perhaps, uh, Matt, if you're listening, uh, let's see if we can get something up there. That'd be interesting uh, to see if uh, something goes up at any stage soon, if we do indeed keep talking about this over the years. Next up, Australia and New Zealand's tourism bodies respond to the Trans-Tasman travel bubble. Earlier in the week, the New Zealand and Australian governments announced a travel bubble between the two countries would be opening up on April 19, enabling international tourism to kick off once again. Tourism Australia and Tourism New Zealand have already kicked off marketing ahead of the borders opening. Liv, what have we seen from the two bodies? Yes, we've seen a rush of activity. Uh, Tourism Australia came out today with their NZ dedicated campaign, isn't it time you added another first to your list, which basically highlights how New Zealand often pips Australia, but, you know, we've got a few things that they don't and it's encouraging Kiwis to come across the Tasman and and see what's in Australia. Um, Obviously, it's a huge market for Australia. Um, I think New Zealand is, is one of our biggest inbound markets and vice versa. Australia into New Zealand is also a huge market. So, there are plenty of tourism dollars up for grabs at the moment. Interestingly, uh, Tourism NZ made a comment that Destination New South Wales, which is the tourism body for New South Wales government, has the same budget as the Tourism New Zealand budget. So it is going to be quite interesting to see how NZ competes on Australian soil amongst all of those various state entities that are also trying to get tourism from other states or even within that same state, uh, given that we can't go to other international destinations at the moment. Um, NZ has been very active for the last few weeks, um, already preparing for when this bubble eventuates. And earlier earlier in the year, they launched a very funny uh, influencer style campaign. And Air New Zealand has also launched some campaigns, despite the fact that, you know, the travel was not uh, not really there for them, uh, focusing on the eighth wonder of the world, and obviously that was in NZ. This is still a super risky time for campaigns to be out of market in terms of a small outbreak is going to shut down either state borders or, or international borders, and the politicians have, have been quite upfront about that uh, as well. Uh what kind of spend are we seeing here? Are marketers really throwing the kitchen sink at this or are they being a bit cautious as well? Well, Tourism Australia's spend is $3 million, which is not enormous. Um, so I think they are taking a very cautious approach to it. And similarly, we don't have the spend for Tourism New Zealand in Australia in terms of what they're doing now, but we do know that it's going to be a, a one- to eight-week campaign 
focusing on on obviously their target markets here in in Australia and then it's a sort of longer 16-week campaign that they've got planned um you know they've they use their socials very well so I think that's where they sort of drive a lot of value from their advertising rather than it being you know above the line media spend um I think the Kiwis do humor very well so that tends to translate quite well across social media as well Jim are you going to holiday here this year or do you have any actual choice Look, I, I I am tempted. I mean, I think you know, regarding what Olivia was saying about the sense of humour, Air New Zealand won the battle this week. That brilliant full page ad they had in the papers yesterday, uh, in the Australian papers. Are you tired of Australians? Question mark. And then as the major headline, and then in much smaller text, after a year of closed borders, we wouldn't blame you. Luckily for us all, the trans-Tasman bubble is about to open. So come on over. We've missed you a lot. I mean, that's that's funny. It taps into that sort of rivalry in an amusing way between Australia and New Zealand. And there's a there's a bit of warmth to it as well. So I think that 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 was a terrific piece of advertising, not least because you know, as you'd know, it was heavily then then heavily reported in the media. So there was a lot of earned media over and above the advertising spend of you know that those those single newspaper ads earlier in the week. So so I you know I I, I think there are opportunities to to um to, to to continue with those sort of rivalries that Air New Zealand and you know sometimes in the past Qantas have had. Yeah, and interestingly, New Zealand um, cited your uh, your home state for now, Tasmania, as being one of the uh, key markets that's popped up in NZ of late. Challenging that, you know, we've you know we we've got other things to show you, sort of mentality. So, yeah, look, um, you know, it's it's going to be fascinating to see what the demand is out of Tasmania because um, there are you know Air New Zealand doing to starting starting up two flights a week out of uh, out of Hobart, so that'll be the first time in a long time that there've been direct flights between Tasmania and New Zealand. Yes, and Qantas has also said that they're going to increase both the obviously capacity, but also the number of routes that they're going to operate between the two countries. Coming up next, is automotive marketing struggling to keep up? This week, Mumbrella published a feature on how automotive marketers were reacting to their current environment, which has seen a rapid increase of sales of both new and used cars, while there has been a decline in the use of alternative mobility options such as ride-sharing and car subscriptions. The results look like they are a move to do with circumstance rather than sustained marketing. Damien, you wrote this feature. Yeah, it was a interesting time to have a look at automotive marketing in the sense that we've seen a massive reversal of the fortunes in the industry. Car sales, both new and used, uh, have largely skyrocketed uh, at the end of last year. It wasn't during the whole of COVID. It was very much the end of last year, November and December in particular, and that trend continues. At the same time, uh, what we call mobility trends in terms of uh, different forms of transportation, ride sharing, uh, car subscriptions, etc., those started to decline at the same time. Uh, so the theory is that a lot of people sitting at home, uh, working from home, different daily routines have decided they need a new car or a different car or another car in the driveway, and, and they've actually actually acted upon that. I've just got the figures 
uh, for car sales for March 2021. This came out uh, April 7th, and the trend continues. Uh, 105,000 vehicles sold uh, in March 2021, up 22.4% on March 2020, and that's from the Federal Chamber of Automotive Industries. So still a, a really strong result for vehicle manufacturers in particular. And so wh- why is it, do you think, that the industry has a reputation for doing the same old, same old when it comes to their marketing? Well, this was the biggest challenge with this piece was looking at that, I guess, stereotype of automotive manufacturers doing the same old, same old and asking whether doing that at a time where manufacturers have increased their sales is really a sustainable way of continuing that upward trend. Uh, Why have they or why do they have this reputation? Uh, It's easy to say that it you see the same old ads all the time, the, the fast cars, the, the, the J-turns, the uh, speeding vehicles with uh, the ads being pulled very quickly after, the, after it gets complained about, essentially. And also that there are the double the, the ANA code suggests that there are very tight uh, restrictions around uh, advertising and keeping to those stifles creativity a bit. But... Uh, it seems like now is the time, more than any other time in the, the industry's history, after we saw decline after decline, I think we recorded something like 28 consecutive periods of decline in, in vehicle sales. Uh, now that we're seeing an increase, the challenge is out there to marketers to change the way they interact with consumers or the brand interacts with consumers and try and sustain that growth or if not, at least have it level out and, and keep uh, on a relatively uh, high base, comparatively speaking. And, you know, putting COVID and supply chain issues aside, do you think that the sales figures can be maintained that we've seen of late? Well, that's all up to play for. A few of the people who I spoke to in that feature, Kevin Gault from Hyundai, who spoke at the Automotive Marketing Virtual Summit, suggesting that the product was, uh, I believe his quote was 10 years ahead of the marketing for it. Diana DiCecco, who's the CMO of 8Star Energy, uh, suggesting that if marketers hadn't already thought about this, it's too late now. You know, the, the ship has almost sailed. Uh, can they keep the momentum going? It's all to play for now, but I think we are starting to see a few examples of manufacturers uh, or the marketers of manufacturers looking at ways to increase consumer confidence and brand love. Lexus is a case in point. You know, they've got uh, Lexus Encore, which is sort of like a, a, I guess, a Qantas frequent flyer for Lexus owners. A whole heap of perks. It makes you feel quite special. Um, it gets you into the brand far deeper than, than you've ever been before. Volkswagen were trying some pretty interesting stuff as well. Uh, you know, they've released uh, care plans for used vehicles because, of course, we've seen used vehicle sales on, on the up as well. Uh, they've done some pretty cool AR stuff. So there's a, a, fair, bit of, uh, a fair bit of new ideas coming in which should hopefully keep those consumers attached to the brand and thinking about next purchases and next purchases rather than what other brands uh, can I try. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges with automotive is 
you buy a new vehicle. Uh, uh, Tim, you bought one relatively recently. Uh, it's been five years for me, but for me personally, uh, I've had no other contact with that manufacturer to, to try and get me to continue to buy it. And it sort of lands at a, a dealership rather than the brand itself to to continue that. You know, you know, Tim, you might have had a different experience, but um, it certainly seems fragmented. Yeah, look, I suppose I did um, have various f- uh, after sale messages. Um, yeah, now in 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 fairness, my my experience in terms of uh, having found myself at the very least on a mailing list, um, I, I certainly felt like I was still being marketed to. Not sure that was a uh, that was necessarily a plus. Um, and I suppose the other. The other question I'd be interested to get your take on, Damien, is is obviously on the one hand, domain expertise counts for an awful lot. You know, people who know and understand the automotive world and the market. But on the other hand, is it a bit of a stale segment? Is that one of the reasons why we see the same old, same old? Because you don't get that many new marketers coming in at a senior level into the sector. Yeah, that's a really good point. It, it could be seen as a stale segment. But the one thing I would suggest is – while you don't necessarily see a lot of new marketers coming into the sector, what you do see is a hell of a lot of new product. The amount of vehicle manufacturers operating in Australia uh, is huge. I, I think we had more than 60 manufacturers operating in a country of 25 million people. So there's a huge amount of new vehicles coming into market, a huge range, uh, and a lot you can do with that. So they're realistically, there shouldn't be a, a lack of excitement about the, the products that the brands are, are, are trying to sell or, or at least the ability to differentiate yourself from your competitors. Coming up next, Zoe chats to Mark Green and Scott Knoll about the new era of the monkeys. Joining me now on the Mumbrella cast is Mark Green and Scott Knoll, lead and chief creative officer at Accenture Interactive and co-founders of The Monkees. Mark and Scott, thanks for joining me. Nice to see you, Zoe. How are you? Thanks for having us. Now, I'll start off with a bit of a big question. Justin Drape, your co-founder of The Monkees and also group chief creative officer, left the business after 15 years of working together earlier this year. Is this a new era for the monkeys? It is definitely a new era at the monkeys. It's, um, you know, I think uh, that's a big change, obviously. Um, And uh, after many, many years of doing business together, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's different. Um, And I think from, you know, in a couple of weeks, um, Tara joins and that's also going to bring a different energy to the team. Um, so yeah, look, it's, you know, I think, I think over the history of the business, um, there's always been different times of change and, um, this represents another one. For sure. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, you know, when you've been working with somebody for so long and you've been through so much together and you've got that lifelong connection and, and, um, you know, we basically spoke every day and, and now when we talk, we're not, we're not talking about work. That's, that's the only difference really but yeah in terms of the monkeys it, it's the, a business like this you know you, you're all, you're always going through these mini evolutions or mini eras of and where people come and go and they go off to, and do great things 
But um, yeah, it does feel like a bit of a moment, doesn't it? Mm. Where we've um, we're going to take on a whole new set of challenges, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. And have you felt the dynamic change between the two of you since then? Uh, no, not really. I, I, look, I, th- I think um, I don't know. Like it, it's 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 uh, <laughs> no. I, I, I feel not like really. it's been not the really. same forever. Um, and you know, the business still seems very you know familiar. And um, obviously, you know, there's been changes with um, becoming part of Accenture Interactive and. Um, you know, we've taken on wider roles beyond um, just looking after the monkeys as well. So I think, um, you know, there's there's always been those changes over time, you know, whether it's moving into a new building or, uh, um, you know, becoming part of Accenture Interactive. Um, but we've always embraced those changes and made the most of them. And I think this is another example of that. And, uh, yeah, we, we never tend to look back too often, but uh, kind of always got an eye to the future and um you know it's a it's an exciting time at the moment i think um you know the the business Accenture interactive and the monkeys has done as 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 well as possible over the last 18 months in a pretty difficult time to be in business and um yeah we're excited about the work we're doing uh together and you know the new kind of opportunities that are being opened up um and the team feels really strong and uh, as uh, provocative and interesting as it's ever been. And, uh, you know, we've, we've put out some great work so far this year and there's some great work coming out, you know, in the not too, too, too distant future. So, we're, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting time, but uh, a, a good one to kind of uh, try new things. And I'm sure part of that success is the success you have had in maintaining the agency culture at the Monkeys uh, throughout this transition period becoming part of Accenture Interactive. Agency culture is quite different to consultancy culture. How did you pull that off while slowly blending in that that style that Accenture has? It's, it's kind of, it's interesting that, um, you know, you're talking about agency culture, but, you know, culture, your culture you build in an, in an organic way. It's the people in the building. It's people, you know, approaching the challenges at any one time. And that that's what it feels like as you're going through and, you know, you're looking at different challenges, different clients, different groups of people uh, on both sides coming in. And you're maintaining that culture through, through thick and thin, through all that time. And then through the Accenture acquisition, it was um, – I mean, their first question to us pre-acquisition was, how do you grow a culture like this? How do you keep the people you keep? And that's what impressed us so much about their approach versus, um, you know, different kinds of acquisition models. So I'd say that the, the focus was on maintaining the culture from the beginning. And for us, being in the building and, you know, the guys in Melbourne and growing that their own culture there, that that's kind of the easy part in a way. You, you you're there and you're you're doing what you've always done, and you're you've got a belief in what you're doing, and you're pulling people along with you. Yeah, and I, th- I think we we kind of learn from each other as well, and try and take the best bits and move those forward. Um, and we've always focused on the positives in in doing that. 
And um, yeah, look, I, I, I think um, the differences are also the opportunity to try and transform both sides. And um, I think that's the um, that's what Accenture have lent into. Um, they want us to continue um, to influence how they see the world and vice versa. And um, it's been it's been really interesting. Um, you know, I think we can do much more as a consequence of being part of Accenture Interactive um, and Accenture overall um, and vice versa. So I think everybody kind of sees um, the opportunity and sees, you know, just some great work coming out of it. Um, and yeah, I think that means that people are learning. Um, uh, people are always kind of seeing new things and new challenges. And um, I, I think that's what's required to do business today is to keep evolving and to always spend a bit of your time thinking about the future and what's next because you can't stand still. And I think the ones that do um, will really get left behind. And I think um, in the last 12 months, we've seen an explosion in different parts of digital and technology that uh, like we're really well primed to be a part of. Um, if we had been uh, by ourselves, we wouldn't have had that access. And I think that's really powerful. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's been a good relationship. You know, we, we've, we've, we're over the first uh, kind of flush of romance and the hurdles. And I guess now we're, you know, wearing each other's T-shirts. <laughs> and uh, and getting on with it, but you, you recognize each other's strengths and weaknesses, right? And, yeah. And and, yeah. and it's a it's a fantastic thing to be able to turn around and go, okay, this thing that we couldn't do before, we now can. Yeah. And there's the 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 crossover is uh, is the exciting bit. And you both have dual roles within the monkeys. You've maintained your roles in the monkeys, and you've brought in roles at Accenture Interactive as well. Was that always on the cards from the get-go of the acquisition or was that something that came in over time? Yeah, look, it has come in over time. Um, you know, look, I mean, I, I look after Accenture Interactive overall. So that's um, probably, that's been a big change over the last um, 12 months. And so that's, uh, it's a team of, you know, 350 plus people across ANZ. And uh, like it, it's just been really interesting because I think now it's 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 using the best of what um, where we've come from with the best of what interactive had already, and that allows us to do um, some really cool work and and influence our clients' businesses in uh, a much broader way. So you know, using creativity uh, to drive experience for cus for clients is um, the wider kind of world we live in now and um yeah look i think i think that the solutions that we can give are really varied and and and, and different uh and i think that that's just evolved as as over time um you know as interactive has changed as the monkeys have changed i think um you know they've seen the opportunity for us to take on sort of leadership roles and and drive the overall agenda as well as the parts so um, I think that's kind of you know makes our day job. Yeah, and it's probably better. probably probably indicative um, of the willingness for Big Accenture to let our culture influence them, and how we do things, and how the creative side of the businesses and the businesses they've acquired, and how that can make their lives better. Don't you reckon? The, yeah, look, I, I think so. I mean the. Um, you know, there's quite a mature look at 
acquisitions and how they continue to grow. Like they, they don't want to be, they want their business to always be in new areas. Um, you know, whether it's digital technology, um, applied intelligence, whatever that might be. And they, they do want to keep evolving. They don't want to stand still and that, that helps them grow, but it also helps them attract, um, more interesting talent that can give their clients um, a far more comprehensive service. And, um, yeah, look, I, I think that's, uh, I think that's a good place to be. Like it's, you know, we've always, um, been doing things that we hadn't done before to try and evolve and to change and to keep current. And I think we met, um, you know, similar folk at Accenture that like doing business that way as well. And yeah, look, it's, 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 yeah. Like I think even in the last 12 months, it, um, uh, since I took over uh, Interactive and, and Scott's been playing a part across Interactive um, from the creative product standpoint, I think it's, yeah, we've learned a lot and learned from, you know, the team that was there and our team have uh, influenced some of the thinking that happens in Accenture as well. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a good place to be um, in, a, in a world that is at changing at warp speed we're making changes that seem relevant. What you're saying is we are the future. <laughs> well, we're, we're part of a future. Um, like, yeah, I, I, I certainly think we've got a, we're making some bets and we're having a point of view about it. Um, and, you know, that's, that's something that we're helping shape and create. And, you know, I, I think every part of the world is a truly global organization, Accenture, and, you know, the likes of Dave Droger and people like that are having the same type of influence in different parts of the world. So, um, you know, thankfully, we're, we're part of something where there's some amazing talent in every part of the world. So, um, you know, we share the thinking and, uh, and also contribute to it. And I think part of that future is also the increasing number of what was once recognised as a traditional ad agency now positioning themselves as a consultancy. We hear that line, creating business solutions with creativity a lot these days. And WPP AUNZ CEO Jens Monsees said not long ago that he believes their group's competitors are the Deloitte, Accenture's, PwC's of the world instead of the Omnicom publicists anymore. Having sort of jumped on that trend pretty early what's what's your direction what's your take on the direction that some of these established heritage ad agencies will have to take oh, look it's not for us to kind of um, write their business plan I think that's um, in their hands as to how they see the future um, we can only comment on how we see it and you know for us it it, it, it really is kind of I guess, trying to influence businesses more strategically um, and bring creativity, uh, consultancy and technology to the table. And the best of, of, of all of those worlds are what we're kind of orbiting. And yeah, I think that's, that's how we see it. Um, now, you know, for our competitors, um, you know, I, I think they might have a slightly different, you know, variation on, on a theme or, or, or go after something differently. Um, but yeah, look, we're, uh, we're probably not concentrating on what our competitors are doing, but rather just focused on 
our clients and how we can, you know, bring the best of what we do to them more often. We've always thought, I mean, we started the business thinking we could change the trajectory of the biggest brands in Australia and, and eventually the world. And obviously we've come from an advertising background and it's expanded into other things. And with this merge with, um, with, with Accenture, it's basically given us this uh, whole new tool, you know, set of tools to be able to do that. And when you've got the uh, – we, we've been lucky enough over the years to have excellent relationships with the C-suite of our, of our clients. Um, not every agency has that. And what's happened in the meantime is the consultancies have come in and, and sort of taken that relationship. So what we've done is marry up the two. And you're in this incredibly powerful position where you're not only uh, doing the, I guess, the comms kind of strategy, it's more around, okay, business strategy as a whole for the, for the biggest brands you can think of that goes both ways, down into build and up into comms and, and all over the place. So for us, it's like, okay, th- this is just giving us all the ammunition we need to, to really influence the businesses in, uh, in a positive way. Well said, Scotty. That's unusual. I, once a year, I say something intelligible. <laughs> I mean, it's not like we 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 always wanted to. We we just believe that creative and a creative approach to business can it will yield better results than just some you know ordinary strategy. And that's now passing down through into a consultancy role as well. But do you think there's still a place in this industry for the advertising agencies? If we as we traditionally know them you, you, there are there yeah. has never been a better time there has never been a better time for people who can apply abstract thought to a creative uh, business problem and those people who have traditionally resided in places like advertising agencies but not always so we're just trying to bring those sorts of people together to be able to do that and so that you, you'll see the our, our aim is still to you know create the best creative work you know, in the world that will influence yeah. a business as strongly as it can. And now, you know, and that now has a consultancy aspect to it. And so that business strategy that the consultancy provides is now spread across what we're doing and the end result, the imagination stuff at the end is 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 the, it's still the powerful stuff that can steer a public's uh, viewpoint of a, of a brand, but it is now... I guess so much more cohesive. Yeah, and I, I think um, that's right. Like you know, uh, and and interactive talk about that around bringing the best of uh, creativity, uh, consulting, and technology together. Um, and I, and I think for for agencies, other agencies out there, I think they're all evolving and um, trying to you know be influential in new and interesting ways as well. And that's there's always going to be a place for that. Um, but I think the 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 output of what we do is changing fairly drastically um, and in a good way because I think it's um, you know the the answer can be really varied and we've always liked that idea of you know maybe it's an ad maybe it's a um, an app maybe it's a piece of technology maybe it's you know artificial intelligence whatever it might be as a part of an answer. Um, to driving an experience for a brand, for a customer, or for a category overall. So, um, yeah, look, it's it's interesting. I think it's uh, you know technology has allowed um, 
every business to try and change and do things in a different way. And um, I think that's where we're at today is embracing that change. And I think the the businesses, the agencies, the consultancies, the the companies that do that um, are going to be best placed to be part of the future. And while this has all been happening, we've seen a number of independent agencies pop up in the last 12 months. Now that you are on sort of the other end of that story, how do you view the competition in the creative landscape coming from those independent agencies? Look, it's it's great. Like I, I think you 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 like I'd encourage anyone to start a business and have a go and try and change the industry that they operate in. Um, that's that's where we were. Like that's what we thought. Um, but we're still and, thinking like that, right? That's yeah. The thing. I think we've still got the mindset of the startup, and you, I don't think you can ever get it out of yourself. And yeah, I'm, I'm with Granny. I mean, if mm. you want to ever start a business, you go for it. If you've got a, a molecule in you that says you should do that, then you should do that. Uh, so I think everybody should be giving that a go if they want to, if they've got that in them. Uh, they obviously start with it is tough. It's really, really hard. And um, but I, I suppose what we've got now is still we've got that stupid startup mentality, but mm. with this amazing sort of uh, breadth of, of firepower behind us. And, and competition's always good, so yeah. it makes everyone better. Um, and I think, uh, you know, from when we started to today, like there's always been a different group of competitors that, uh, you know, keep us on our toes and um, vice versa. Um, and I think that's what we enjoy. We're kind of uh, sort of almost addicted to the uh, the challenge of evolving and, and being our best. Um, and that's a mindset that's, that hasn't changed from when we were working together back in the day at Saatchi and Saatchi to starting our own company to be becoming part of Accenture Interactive to, um, you know, what happens next. Um, we're not people to stand still and um, let the grass grow around us. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's a good time uh, to be in business because people are looking at things differently and, um, and, and smart people uh, always challenge the status quo and think different. To coin a famous ad <laughs> campaign. There's, there's really some great people in the industry and I, I think, you know, we've felt it over time that people in advertising, the kinds of brains that are in, in these these sort of businesses aren't probably fully rewarded um, for their, the, you know, the power of their thinking and the power of that thinking to change businesses. And so part of what we're doing and part of what, what um attracted us to Accenture was that we felt like we could change that in a way and consultants get paid a lot of money for what they do and it's but we're, we're doing something sort of equally as powerful and how do we bring that all together and have people in our industry uh, be rewarded as such well Mark and Scott I look forward to seeing the new era of the monkeys unfold thank you for joining me on the Mumbrella cast Thanks, Zoe. Thanks for having us. It's been a pleasure. And that's it for this week. But before we go, the Mumbrella Awards final deadline is upon us. Closing midnight next Friday, April 16. Don't miss your opportunity to throw your name in the hat. 
So if you've been making serious waves across media, marketing, advertising, PR, and production, this is your best chance to get the recognition you deserve in front of the entire industry. Just think of what an industry nod could do for your brand, agency, or even yourself. There are 31 categories available. Go to mumbrella.com.au forward slash Mumbrella Awards for more information. That's it for this week, though. Olivia, Tim, thank you for joining me. Zoe, thank you as well. Thanks, Damo. Thank you. Thank you.